0: Welcome to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, where we try to cut through the noise and help you make sense of the chaotic information space around us. I'm Griff Somke.
1: And I'm Jay McKenzie.
0: Our guest today is Amanda Moore, a journalist who spent a year undercover within the overlapping MAGA, QAnon, and white nationalist movements, who surely gained a considerable number of enemies in the process. She used the information she gleaned from her work undercover to supply information and secret recordings to journalists covering the extreme right. She's since then branched out with her own work, including an excellent piece for Talking Points Memo on the Nick Fuentes and Kanye, or Ye, West Alliance. You can find her newsletter, The Turtle Diaries, at noturtlesoup17.substack.com, and her Twitter account is noturtlesoup17. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe to the newsletter at didnothingwrongpod.com. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, please give us a five-star rating. We've got a great show for you today. Thanks for joining us. Amanda, thanks for being here, and welcome to Did Nothing Wrong.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: You have done a lot of really interesting stuff in the last couple of years and this is this is fun. This is this is something I'm looking forward to hearing about. Yeah. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You managed to make a lot of new friends. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so
1: to start, I just wanted to say it's easy to say that QAnon is crazy and white nationalism is bad from a distance, but when you were in this world and hearing this rhetoric every day, surely it had some kind of effect on you. Um, how did you avoid getting sucked into the right wing conspiracies when you heard them every day? Was it easy or did you have to constantly keep your guard up to some degree?
2: So, um, I was actually raised evangelical. Uh, my dad's like, super religious. His church uh, that he goes to now, his pastor raises people from the dead. Oh. Um, and they actually, yeah, <laughs> they actually hosted one of the QAnon events I was supposed to go to. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Andrew Womack in Colorado Springs. It's like a mega church. So, my dad's like local to D.C., but, you know, they've got like little campuses all over the place. So, you know, I've already had that. And then I was a Ron Paul Libertarian. Ah, so I think the white nationalism, like and conspiracy ship kind of like would have already sailed if it was going to happen with me,
0: <laughs> you know,
2: so I think like that excessive exposure to both of those worlds, um, kind of, kind of made it, I mean, it's just like, it wasn't anything now, you know, it's just like the same shit I was hearing 10 years ago.
0: Right. So you kind of feel like maybe you got immunized a little bit to some of what you were hearing because this is just what these people on this side of the fence say. When they're talking.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was like in cop block, which, like, you know, Christopher Cantwell, like,
0: <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> oh. but,
2: yeah, I was involved <laughs> in cop lock protests here and everything. Yeah. Um, and so there's very little separation, like on a personal level, people that we knew between me and him. Um, and in fact, I had to deactivate my Facebook for many reasons um, <clears throat> when I was in a cover, but one of those is I was like, oh my God, like, some of these guys, like, we know people in common because um, we all came up in that, like, Ron Paul libertarian movement. And so it's just, yeah. You know, I, I don't know what it is about me that made me go left and made them go right. Um, but it happened. And it I mean, it happens. It's not just me, right? Like there's.
0: No. Yeah. But
2: it's on the far left as there are on the far right, perhaps. But <laughs> there's certainly a number of us.
0: That's really fascinating that you bring up the Ron Paul thing, because there was so much like of a pipeline from Ron Paul into the far right, into the white nationalist movement. It's a little terrifying, really.
1: You could be a Ron Paul libertarian who went Tim Pool's way and left and then still saying you're left, but actually right. So there's, there's all sorts of ways that people go. I think the, most of the Ron Paul libertarians probably went the way of Tucker. It's pretty like straight, seamless line, but yeah, not for you, huh?
2: (laughs) And I will say like, I mean, obviously like I had, I created a, personality, I did not change my actual like personality. Like I'm loud. I'm, you know, like I'm I swear. Like I was never gonna like go into this and be like, I'm gonna act like a trad wife. Like it just it wouldn't have worked. I couldn't have done it. Um so I was (laughs) just me, but I was like, what what is the fascist version of me I would have become and I was like I would have been like a Richard Spencer Nazi. And so like that was what I went into this with. Um and so I don't know if it's that or like my age or what exactly, but that's exactly what I attracted. So every person I befriended on the white nationalism side was from that Ron Paul background, um, 100% of them. I mean, they were all in their late 20s or early to mid 30s. So it might be that too. But we were all Ron or Ron Paul libertarians. Wow.
1: Do you feel like you know why they went more extreme or what appealed to them? Or is that just where the energy was flowing?
2: I don't know. I I mean, I think about this a lot lately, because I, I really just don't have any like good answers on this, because it's also... Um, you know, as I'm writing about it, it's a lot of, like, self-reflection. So I know for me, um, when Michael Brown was killed in Ferguson, and I was in these, you know, Black Lives Matter marches in D.C. and, you know, wherever, uh, I'm looking around. It's a bunch of leftists. And then when it happens, like, closer to home in Baltimore Freddie Gray, it's, like, everybody I used to know in Coppola—I mean, not everybody, but a lot of them are, like— uh, What about the highways rights? You can't be on the highway, and it's like (laughs) fuck you. Like I thought we cared about this, you know? It's like obviously, you know, you don't. You care about it when it's convenient for you, and so that was like my breaking point. But I, and then you know, obviously there was like a big uh, Trumpism takeover of the entire party. Like I want to be very clear, I almost ran for school board on libertarian ticket. Like I was involved in the party, Hmm. so. Yeah, I really I really don't know uh, what what made some people go one way and me go another. Well, in
0: in Ali Breland's piece about your time undercover for Mother Jones, he mentions how you notice that far-right groups will show up across the street and hold their own version of these more mainstream events like what we see from TPUSA. Did you get the sense that the more mainstream GOP groups ever did anything to discourage this? Did they really seem to care that they had these fringe extremist groups across the street, or did this seem like maybe they were coordinating it to some degree?
2: They're not coordinating it on a like technical sense, but they're certainly, um, you know, uh, they're certainly benefiting from it, and they are aware, and they are at best, I would say. Uh, Providing cover, you know, for it. So some of these events of the guys I knew, a group called Republicans for National Renewal. They would put on, they, after I was, you know, docs, they had this event at Turning Point USA in Phoenix. And, you know, they have, like, James O'Keefe, like, showing up. They have the official <gasps> Turning Point USA brand ambassadors showing up. Uh, There's literally no difference. And then they also have actual documented, like, neo-Nazis. I mean, everybody benefits. The the extremist groups benefit from the mainstream's presence. The mainstream groups benefit because they want to appeal to a new, younger audience. And it's like, that is, you know?
0: Right, right. And that's where they're finding it. They want as
1: much attention and press, I guess, as they can get. And it certainly doesn't hurt. Yeah. So I know you, you deal with... TPUSA, which is a, a group that at least now tries to go out of their way to say, Oh, we're pro Israel. We're not anti Semitic and all this. But then you have this group across the street that's like very obviously anti Semitic. Did you get a, a sense or hear from some of these people? Like, how do they, how do they square that? We're not on exactly on the same team, but we're kind of okay with it. Or was it kind of, I know there's some white nationalists who are kind of pro Israel, but we're okay with Jews, but not if they're here, like go to your kind of go to your own country sort of thing. Did you get, is that kind of uniform? Does everybody have their own idea about it? Do they not talk about it?
2: So, very very nuanced question. So, when you've got—I mean, Israel is, like, very controversial on the left, right? Like, this is also, Mm -hmm. like, an issue that we deal with. I mean, like, according to the ADL, I'm extremely anti-Semitic because, you know, I believe that Palestinian people have the right to exist. (laughs) So, whatever. So, it's just as complicated in many ways on the right. You've got people who are—you know, my my line was, like, I'm fine with Israel existing because, like, the Jews should have a place to go that isn't here. And that was— I chose that because it was, like, a common enough line that, like, I didn't have to go in any more detail on my opinions on right, that. Right, And then, obviously, I think on the more extremist side, you do primarily have people who are like, I do not want to fund Israel. What gets very interesting is when you have people who are like, in these groups, and then they're Jewish, and then they also support Israel. And it's kind of like everyone just turns a blind eye to it and, like, pretends, like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, that's great, and that's your thing. That's that's your little thing, because, you know, Mm -hmm. you're Jewish, we get it. So, Nick Fuentes, he had, like, this griper war with Turning Point USA back in 2019, and um, one of the questions that, your question if you think of. One of the guys stood up. So what these corpers would do, which is the name that everybody uses for the people who follow Nick Fuentes, they would get in line to ask questions, and they would ask extremely controversial questions, or they would try to expose the audience to extremist ideas that Turning Point USA would not expose them to. One of them is like you know, he, he's got like a little Israel button on and he gets up and he's like, Charlie, Charlie Kirk, I heard, you know, you were just in Jerusalem and I love Israel. And you know, I heard Israelis, they make the best dancers. Mm-hmm. And he was like, and you can Google dancing Israelis if, if you don't believe me. And so obviously I think you two yes. <laughs> reaction indicates, you know, what I'm talking about?
0: I've seen that clip. Yes.
2: A very stupid conspiracy theory. Um, and so you'll get Stuff like that. Like, it's like, oh, well, if we can just kind of, like, inoculate people a little bit, and then by the time they're over here, we can say more stuff across the street. And then by the time they go home, we can really just pound it, you know, into their heads through social media.
0: Right, right.
1: Uh, this is so far beyond like what the donors to TPUSA or uh, any of these groups would get, and it and it works. They're they're really clever about stuff like that, where it's, you you get somebody to Google something, and and maybe that's the way they they get admitted in. That's why mm-hmm. they start asking more questions. That's that's very clever in a terrible sort of way, but you see why they do this.
0: And yeah. that's Nick Fuentes, yeah. definitely you know clever in a terrible sort of way, you know good with this kind of thing. And speaking of Nick Fuentes, you did write a really great piece in Talking Points Memo about the danger of the Nick Fuentes and the Kanye or Yay West alliance. For us, it seems like Fuentes is an immediate danger in some ways, but what's potentially more concerning is his long-term trajectory. Do you see Fuentes playing any kind of a central role in the 2024 election cycle?
2: I don't know. It's it's very interesting. Um, So, I know he said on his show, maybe like yesterday, that they're about to make some kind of announcement in regard to the political stuff. Because they, so far, have not been able to call it a campaign. Because he's not officially filed. And I say, well, there's legal reasons we have to wait for Ye to file. So it looks like they're going to make some kind of announcement. I have no idea what it could be. It could be, like, announcement. Ye actually loves Stalin more than he loves Hitler. Like, (laughs) who knows? Like, with these guys. Um, But I think that he's going to continue to... As long as he can ride the Yay train, he's gonna like push that twenty twenty four. He did say before like Yay was um even on Tucker's so this was, like back in September, I think. Right. He was like, if DeSantis runs, we'll we'll gripe him. We'll wage a griper war against DeSantis. So I think he's gonna force himself <laughs> into like the political arena, like no matter what is happening, even if it's just to harass DeSantis. So I don't know, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. It's hard to predict with Nick.
1: It seems like he could potentially get back on the Trump train, but it does seem it does seem hard to see him supporting DeSantis. I, like you said, he could start groping or trolling him for attention and try to to try to pull him um, pull himself into that conversation. But you can't really see him supporting a guy like DeSantis. I would imagine. Am I right? That with that?
2: Oh yeah, he said that he would rather um, a Democrat win. If he's like, if that's it, my the consequence of my actions of Cory DeSantis, like basically I'm fine with it, um, because the way he explains it is that he's not a Republican voter, no. he's a Trump voter. Now he's going to be a Yay voter, and if you know we can't have some Nazi fascist running, then like he's not going to be a voter. And that just is what it is, and it's actually a pretty common theme. Like I met several people like that who they're actually working in politics or like they're not working like in elected capacities, but they're working with these groups that are like working alongside politicians. And a lot of them are like, yeah, you know, I don't vote. Don't care. That's not what I'm here for. Like, you're really just there to watch the world burn, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's your priority. If there's nobody that's going to help you make that agenda, what's the point in voting?
0: They want to accelerate. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that kind of leads into the next question. What do you think Nick Fuentes actually wants in a long-term sense? Is he's, he's not really looking for a political career so much probably as growing his audience and his influence and, waiting for things to burn down as a result
2: it is so funny it's like you watched a show with me this morning okay so (laughs) he's i mean so keep in mind he's 24 years old right Right. so he's like already like going through it emotionally because that's like you're trying to figure out what you want to do with your life in general then Mm -hmm. but he's now having a life crisis where he's like so tired of the show i'm tired of coming on here and just monologuing you know how i feel jews are bad you know everybody's bad ugh and he's like, what am I going to do with my life? So he's also wondering what he's going to do with his life. He's not, he's not quite sure, you know, he's really poor Nick. He's having this hard time right now. I watch
1: these old clips of me from like five years ago when I first started doing the show and I'm getting into it and all that. And now I'm, I don't know if this is just uh, my personality or maybe this happens to everybody. Um, You know, I don't know what it is, but I feel like I've just sort of, I've reached this point of, of resignation where I'm like, what more is there to be said?
2: But I think I think if he tried to quit the show, I think he would uh, be extremely depressed because it's like, you know, it's addictive. You get the live stream going, you get all the comments and it's like not just the money, but like the validation from people. And he's not getting the validation in person. I mean, no. what well, he's with, Yay, I'm sure he is, but. People are throwing shit at him when he goes in and out, you know? Like, he's (laughs) not—people aren't sending him super chats in person. So I think that he'll probably do the show as long as possible. I don't know if he would run for politics or, like, run for office in politics. I think he would probably like to work in politics or work, you know, on someone's campaign or when they're in office, you know, work alongside them or even work in a lobbying group. I think that would probably be more his— Because he's just so toxic. I mean, there's like three toxic things left in this country, and he's one of them. So I'm not (laughs) sure he could be the face of something.
0: He made some comments on one of his live streams recently, and we included those comments on our episode on Nick Fuentes that we did recently as well, about how he thinks that maybe what he might want to go do is become Charles Manson at some point and have a you know group of girls following him around and of course he said it's a joke because he says everything's a joke and that's just how that guy works but it definitely seems like the kind of thing he might be better suited for than any kind of normal mainstream political career
2: I think there are many people who would agree that he would probably be a good cult leader yes so, he, he yeah. is one of them he definitely <laughs> yeah. thinks so
0: and you know he goes into yeah. detail and like I said we got yeah. an episode on this so check it out if you want to hear him say it
2: one of my biggest regrets is I did not go to app pack because you had to pay by giving Nick your bank account information.
0: What? And wow. so I didn't go.
2: You couldn't use crypto. Wow. And, I was like, and then you know this is twenty twenty one. It's like Patrick Casey is on his show. He's like Nick's a Fed. Nick's a Fed. And I'm like fuck. I was at the fucking Capitol. And then if I do this, and I'm like nobody's gonna believe me. i <laughs>
0: yeah. You're gonna end up on the no fly list yourself, right? Fuck. <laughs> <Right. laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, and I forgot it. So I went on it.
0: That is amazing that he would have the chutzpah to ask that question, and it's amazing that people actually went for it. Like,
2: You could also send an envelope of cash, but it was like $200. Do you know what I mean? And I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck is this? He's like, no pain at the door. And then, of course, the Nazis in afterwards were like, well, you're a girl. You probably could have gotten in. I'm like, not a risk I was willing to take. I mean, like if I had it been undercover, I would have taken that risk. but. <laughs> It's like, it's too many layers.
0: So like, yeah. Why do I have a feeling that the IRS would have some real interesting questions for that boy if they ran across him? I mean, envelopes full of cash at the door of his events? Oh, that's legit. I'm sure he's tracking every bit of that money and writing it all down and filing it all on his tax returns. Mm-hmm. Damn.
1: Right. Absolutely. Um, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're going to have to see if he bought a laundromat at some point. <laughs>
0: Well, he did just buy that condo in Chicago. I mean, fuck. True. Paid for it somehow. I mean, Super Chats aren't necessarily going to cover all of it. So envelopes with hundreds of dollars (laughs) in them from AFPAC just actually might.
2: (laughs) Right? I'm really hoping he does one here because CPAC is here again next month in like less than a month now. And I'm like, oh, man, I really hope, really hope he tries to do it here. That'll be... I mean, I obviously will not be able to get in, but <laughs> hopefully, someone will be able to get in. Yeah, there's be a not sign up, up with your
0: on it. You're on the list now. <laughs> <Just>.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, I, even, even CPAC, I didn't even buy a ticket. I just reserved a room at the hotel that's hosting it because I'm like, you can't kick me out of the hotel. <laughs> you can kick me out of the event, but you can't kick me out of the
0: hotel. <laughs> that's great. But, Yeah, and that leads to another great question. Why do you think the MAGA movement is so prone to accepting or embracing violence? Most people on the left aren't holding up Charles Manson as any kind of role model for anything, really.
2: Because for the past 30 years, talk radio Hmm. has told the right that everybody that is their enemy is a literal demon. They are monsters who want to hurt their children, hurt their families, and strip them of their right to live. And you can only say that so many times before people are going to do something about it. I mean, January 6th, if you truly are a believer, completely makes sense, right? I mean, is that not what you do when the government steals an election? No, makes total sense. Yeah. And that is, I mean, I spent my childhood hearing that uh, Bill Clinton was the Antichrist and then Obama was going to be the Antichrist later, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and I, there was going to be the bark of the beast, and we were going to be persecuted for our beliefs, and we are going to be ostracized from society, because, you know, especially evangelicals, like, that is, like, what gives you life is your religious persecution, um, which doesn't exist in this country <laughs> for, <laughs> for Christians. Um, and so I think, you know, like, you can really trace this back to talk radio and smaller time local people saying stuff that then catches on and is taken from community to community, either through the radio or through John Birch society meetings or members of the John Birch society, uh, speaking, you know, at, at local Republican events and, and pushing the same rhetoric. And then that rhetoric becomes a national level thing. And then fast forward 20 years and Tucker Carlson saying the same shit on television.
0: Right. So that's right. a lot of what it is. Yeah. I can see what you're saying with the, um, the idea that it's a, a pipeline from talk radio. I remember when I was younger, I used to kind of hate listen to that stuff a lot. And one of the guys that I remember, I mean, we all talk about Rush Limbaugh being where a lot of it started, but G Gordon Liddy, the former Nixon fixer also had a talk show and he used to talk about things like headshotting federal agents on his show. And I didn't know that. Yes, he did. Oh, wow. Yes. And of course, it wasn't wow. ever his gun collection because, of course, he was a convicted felon, so he couldn't have one. So he would talk all the time about <laughs> Mrs. Liddy's gun collection. Yeah. Wow. That was cool. That was Liddy. <laughs> and he would cool. talk all the time. Well, this was 94. And Bill Clinton was in the middle of all of that. And he was talking about jackbooted federal thugs, quoting Wayne LaPierre from the NRA at the time. And he was like, aim for the head. Aim for the head when they come to your door, saying things that are... Wow. Very similar to a lot of the rhetoric that you hear these days on the extreme right about the FBI. Definitely. Yeah. So it definitely seems like things in the last few years have gotten much more dangerous from a rhetoric standpoint because you're going to get somebody who hears this stuff and decides they're going to go off and do it. And that seems to be happening more and more often lately. Do you think this is something... I mean, how has this changed since you did your undercover work? Do you think it's kind of cranked up a little bit in the last few years? or?
2: I mean, I think it's definitely gotten worse. I, I remember the first time I heard anybody talk about CRT was in April 2021. At, uh, the trump Doral was like a Women for America First event. And this woman gave a long speech about how Democrats are using CRT to make your children more susceptible to child sex trafficking, which is like obviously... Like, deranged, it makes no sense. But everybody was like, yeah, that, yeah. okay, I see where you're coming from. I'm like, okay, I don't. <laughs> um, and at the time, I mean, the CRT rhetoric is not what it is. Like, if I even went through and looked on Twitter and, like, before, you know, before like February 2021, like, nobody's talking about this. Um, and then, you know, now CRT is like kind of the end of the world. And it's funny because there's definitely like articles from extremist sites about like, CRT or the idea of it from like 2018. So we've just now taken all this rhetoric. I mean, the way that uh, mainstream Republicans talk about trans people is how Christopher Cantwell used to talk about trans people after we shunned him from society. You know? Um, Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely, I think uh, continually gotten worse.
1: Isn't CRT kind of a way for some of them to essentially say that, if you're, you're, you're anti white, it's your, it's your anti white agenda is bad. And we're not going to, they're, they're not going to say it in that explicit terms, but it's become a buzzword that can be, oh, we don't like your diversity and inclusion, but also we think you're anti white and that's a problem. And that used to be really fringe. It used to be Chris Cantwell and, and now it's been mainstreamed.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as I'm like writing and compiling and going through the history of some of these white nationalists that I met undercover, looking at their posts, looking at their blog entries, it is literally, you know, it is, you know, diversity is a cancer. And that is, I mean, not far off from what we're hearing mainstream people say now.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: It is interesting to think of it in terms of the hard right knew that Charlottesville was very bad for them. Some people warned them, said, Don't go. This is too much. It's going to blow up. And it did. And now it just seems like they've gotten smarter. It seems like they're saying the same things, but they've figured out a way to not immediately blow up their movement. And I I don't know. That's just, it's scary. And um, it seems to be working.
2: Because you would think January 6th would be like toxic in any capacity. But I think Nick Quintos, Richard Spencer, and the Tiki Torch March, not even Unite the Right, but the Tiki Torch March the night before. I think those are the only three things like you have to draw an association to these three things, one of these three things, if you want to do political damage to somebody at this point, because like marching underneath the gallows, you know, chanting to hang Mike Pence as you storm the Capitol to overturn election isn't enough, <laughs> right? Like, it's just not enough.
1: Yeah, it didn't seem like that really hurt on much. It was interesting in that, that Mother Jones piece that Ali Braylon w- wrote that he was talking about, you know, you were at these events and all of these people were saying, oh, you have to go to a car with a Proud Boy. You can't go out there alone. And I mean, you talk about this conspiratorial thinking And we know that a lot of the the Antifa stuff is really just it's it's this online scare tactics of, oh, the Antifa super soldiers are coming to get us. But they believe it. And I feel like for January 6, even though there was all that mixed messaging of was it Trump supporters? Was it Antifa? I feel like there was enough confusion that I don't know that it hurt any of them i don't know it didn't seem to hurt trump it didn't really seem to hurt QAnon. it didn't seem to hurt the hard right it's like it was dispersed enough that everybody kind of said well it was bad and then they just sort of forgot about it
2: yeah yeah
1: which is insane
2: yeah i mean it wasn't even my first riot but it was definitely the weirdest one i've ever been to there was so much hate on january 6th like just around me i've never been because like i've you know like in baltimore after freddie crazy that was like justified Rich. <laughs> you know right. it wasn't like my you know sloppy president can't win an election because he sucks <laughs> you know <laughs> like it wasn't and most people that i knew like no Lost the election because they're white nationalists. Like they don't give a shit. Yeah, let's. Yeah, you guys go in the Capitol. That's great for me. You know, right? Yeah, it was just at the time. There's no way if you would ask me January like seventh. Fast forward two years. What do you think will happen? I like this complete ignoring of this event and just letting people run for office and do whatever they want. Who cares? Like that is not the answer I would have had. It was yeah, very bizarre.
0: Yeah, it definitely seems like it hasn't really. Hurt most of them. They, a lot of these people ended up getting reelected. A lot of these people ended up getting, you know, elected to Congress in the the midterms. You've got your guys like even Mike Flynn, who was directly in the middle of all of this and doesn't seem to have hurt him one bit, even though he's now kind of pivoted to non-QAnon believer since he got back. He's sort of playing that off, but we don't really believe that. You saw Flynn and his supporters at these events firsthand. How do you think it squares to have him kind of playing this down on Twitter versus what you saw at these experiences with not just Flynn, but the people who go to these things and kind of think quite highly of the the good general, as it were?
2: So I think Flynn is a grifter with no real... Compass, not like moral compass, but like belief compass. I I do not believe he has consistency other than himself. Like that is his priority. But when he is like, oh, there is no QAnon. What is Q? I know, you know, like oh, what is this? Ugh.
1: I, I blame. Blame. do solemnly swear. Do, do solemnly swear, swear that I will support and defend, that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution, Constitution of the United States, States. Against, all enemies, the, domestic, against, against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic, domestic. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. That, that I, I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. same. That I take this obligation freely.
2: That, that I take this obligation freely, freely
1: without any mental reservation. Without, without any, any mental reservation. reservation purpose. Asia, or for the purpose of evasion, and that I will well and faithfully, and that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties, discharge the duties of the office on which I am about to enter, of the, the office on of of which I am about to enter. enter. So help me God. So help me God. So help me God. God. Where we go, one we go all. Where, Where we, we go, one we go, one we go all. God bless America. God bless America. God bless America. God bless America. America! <laughs>
2: Everybody goes. He has to say that because the people mm. in power can't just come out. And so it's like this: like, okay, well, you can never fucking win because, ugh, like, what what are you doing? You're just walking in circles. And so that's how they'll justify it with with the famous people who want to deny it. And now, of course, they do this whole thing where they're like, there is no, there's no QAnon. There's I know Q, and I know Anons, but I don't know. But then, like, I would see, like, I saw Lynn Wood one time. And he led this. Uh, we were like in a gymnasium, basically, <laughs> and it was very small event. And he's like, you know, leading and rallying everybody up. And he's like, "Ah, oh, the, the FBI says the QAnon people are terrorists." And he's like, "I don't know what QAnon is, but sounds like he means they mean Trump supporters, and so we're not terrorists." And it's like, mm. okay, well, you almost really slipped up right there. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's what's that's what they do is they just say, you know, they got to say what they got to say so they can. Keep their positions, keep their platforms, and right.
1: Did you see Flynn a lot? Was he at a lot of events? Was he talked about a lot? Was... Oh my
2: God, Flynn is the only person more places than than Flynn is uh, Lindell. Like that's it. That's the only guy. Michael Flynn is everywhere, and he loves attention. Like if you ever want to meet Michael Flynn, and you see some batshit like QAnon event is coming to your town, go hang out at like a fancy hotel lobby bar. Okay. And I'm almost going to guarantee you he'll be there and you can take a photo with him. There'll be a crowd of people around him and he'll be eating it up for hours. He loves it.
0: So this is, this is what they do now. This is their, this is how they, this is how they make money. This is their whole thing.
2: (laughs) It's like a circus. It's a traveling circus. That's what it is. Wow.
0: Do you, did you
1: see a lot of the same people like going on tour with, with these groups and week after week, they're always there.
2: So, for QAnon stuff, so I'm 34, I was like 32 when I was doing this. So, fascists were like my age, but QAnon people are generally like older, um, and the QAnon events are extremely expensive. Fascism, very financially accessible, okay? <laughs> QAnon, I was dropping like $1,000 sometimes to get into these events, just for the event, just for the ticket. Ooh. Never mind the hotel and the flight. People would be like, oh, this is our family vacation, and it's like... They're like, eight-year-olds are like, we wanted to go to Disney. Well, it's skewed our conference now, sorry. <laughs> um, so it's like, uh, skewed much older. So the people I would like really like talk to would be the vendors that I would see in like the media. Um, and so that's like who I would hang out with. And it was, you know, it's like, so there's certain like, like low-level live streamers who's like made a career for following, you know, one certain little circuit around the country. And that's what they cover all the time now. I got to a point where I was like, I could probably give you Mike Lindell's speeches in my sleep because you say the same stuff, you know, all of the time. And a lot of them are like that. So it's a lot of just repeat. Once you've been to one, you've been to them all more or less. I, I actually primarily didn't even go. I would buy these like the most expensive ticket I could get, have the VIP access. And because I, you know, for some things I knew media, so I go hang out in the media area or otherwise, like, who cares? Like, the same speeches, I'm here to go sit at the bar and wait to talk to the people who are at these events, you know? Right.
0: These boomers are just getting rinsed. That's uh, really something amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 Because, I mean, who's really got the money, for the most part, to be spending this level of cash on QAnon conferences? Really, it's, it's boomers of a certain age. And, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize, I think, just how much they were charging to be a part of this movement. And it's interesting that, you know, you can tell that they're pitching it to different crowds just by the amount they're charging that fascism doesn't cost a whole lot of money to participate in because it's, for the most part, younger. Yeah. And you can't afford to spend what it would cost to have a meet and greet with Mike Flynn on the same level. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So. You have a quote on one of your Substack pieces that's kind of a play on Ben Shapiro's favorite line about feelings don't care about your facts. In this growing right-wing conspiracy world, it really speaks to the hypocrisy of all of this because they love to claim that they're the truth-tellers. But most of the time, they don't have the facts on their side. So my question is, how many of the people on the right—you mentioned Flynn being a grifter—how many of the rest of them do you think realize that they're lying— And how many of these people actually believe this?
2: I think among the upper echelon, it's kind of like a mixed bag, right? Where um, some people just want to make money. Some people want to make money and they're also like fascists or just conspiracy riddled, like brain people. And like, that's great because it's really cool when all of your interests align. Um, And other people just do not care about anything except themselves. And that's like the path that they have taken because they realize it's an easy grift I mean, like, Lindell, to me, is, like, an example of a very, like, clear, true believer because he is operating, he is hemorrhaging money, and he will not stop. He cannot stop. (laughs) Like, I don't know that he's capable of stopping. He's, like, the biggest example of someone who is completely all in. But among, like, the regular people, I think that a lot of these people, some are curious, and, you know, obviously there's, like, a self-selection, especially with QAnon because it's so expensive, I think a lot of the people are like true believers in what they're they're following, even if their leaders aren't.
1: You've touched on this some, um, but I, I am curious if you have, have more to say just in terms of the the white nationalists in general know the QAnon stuff is crazy and the people are kind of nutty. Could you break down what benefit they see in in dealing with these people and placating them? Is it about the money? Is it about They think it's just a way to grow their own movement. What are they getting out of it, I guess?
2: So I I flew to Portland to go on a picnic date with a white nationalist uh, watching a race riot. (laughs) And that riot got canceled because uh, the police convinced the Proud Boys moved to a Kmart parking lot. And there they flipped a bus upside down and tear gassed themselves. So we did not watch that. But the disdain this man had for these Proud Boys from moment one. I mean, he's like, look at them in the parking lot this is your job you're supposed to be the foot soldiers you sacrifice your bones and bodies to you know support the Aryan agenda and what are you doing Andy you know was like tweeting about it and he's like Andy is an idiot who cares about this guy fuck him and so that's kind of like the same thing with QAnon right where it's like you've got these people and they're like crazy you know like oh let's make jokes about how crazy they are but they serve a purpose, and that purpose is when it comes time to storm the Capitol. This—I mean, he would like this guy he would say that we were indoor people and these people were outdoor people. He's like, you know, we're not going inside the Capitol. That's not mm. our job. Somebody's got to do it. And so, yeah, you need bodies, you need votes, you need cover. A lot of these people, if you're looking at the QAnon stuff, they're going to be already so conspiracy-prone. And if you can find common ground with them on certain conspiracies, that's going to make them kind of look the other way when you say other stuff. So, yeah, I think a lot of it is just you need you need more people in the movement.
1: That is a great breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. I guess if you if you think about it and think about the people, a lot of the people that were at the Capitol on January 6th and. They kind of look harmless. In general, you think of a white nationalist and you 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 have a certain look, and it's usually intimidating and kind of on purpose. But when you've got people that are QAnon believers and they're in their 60s and 70s and they're retired and maybe they got a bad leg, and think, well, they're they're just kind of old and harmless, but if they've been fed all this nonsense and and have been kind of activated to go do this thing. they're not so harmless and and we saw that it's almost like it's easier to dismiss it because it wasn't the tiki torches that were going in in the capitol. I think the response, if it had been that would have been a whole lot different, but
0: yeah, that's very interesting phrasing that you had about these are inside people and these are outside people, and that was something a lot of us kind of I think suspected when we saw like there was A group that was sort of pushing it and they were expecting, you know, the dummies or, as I was thinking of it at the time, you're the ones that are going to go get yourselves in trouble over all of this, not us. Is that something that was widely sort of disseminated amongst the leadership end? How much of that is intentional on the part of the leadership?
2: So I can't speak to, like, behind closed doors opinions of, like, Patrick Casey or Dick Fuentes or Alex Jones. These are not people. I mean... Not people that I like interact with directly, um, though Casey is friends with many people that I knew, so I, I really can't speak to the, their state of mind. But what I can say is that among people who are like not named, like I mean, not that I'm not naming them, but like they're just nameless. Like, if I told you their names, you'd be like, I don't know who the hell that is, and I'd be like, well, you know, they're, right. they're working with Fidesz and they're working with Congress, right? So, like, people of like some importance, I mean, yeah, like that is like. None of them are gonna pick up a gun. <laughs> like, uh, none of them are like gonna go have a fist fight. You know, um, but they're very okay with somebody else doing it, and that's like the role. Like, that is, you know, the role they want is to be the person who's helping write laws and who's helping, you know, kind of transition us from where we are to like an early stages of Nazi Germany, um, and that's directly stated as the goal. So.
1: You brought up, just talking there, Fidesz, which is the ruling party in Hungary. And I am curious how much Hungary and Orban and that illiberalism, or uh, illiberalism is kind of a nice phrasing for authoritarian. Mm -hmm. Hungary's government has not gone about seizing power overnight. It's been this gradual removal of of norms, and they've co-opted the media and, and the justice system and all this, and... So it is it is a form of takeover. Is this something that, that you heard people talk about a lot? Is it kind of just in the background?
2: The group I was hanging out with, the executive director, flew out to Budapest to cover our national election for Hungary, for Hungarian state sponsored television through his connections with high up politicians and Fidesz. So wow.
1: Yeah. That says a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's uh Definitely a little damning. I think when you look at it. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got the 2024 primaries and general election on the horizon. The money is about to start flowing. The GOP strategists, provocateurs, and even some of these extremist outsiders are going to try and impose their will on the proceedings do you imagine a lot of your work is going to be related to the various political campaigns, or do you see it as kind of ex- adjacent to your extremist coverage but not really related?
2: I think for the presidential campaign, I, I was not – as far as I'm aware, I don't know anybody who is potentially involved with that. But people that I was knew – we're directly involved with Congress. I mean, a couple of years ago. What year are we in? Twenty twenty-three. So twenty twenty-one. There was an America First Caucus that came out. It was extremely racist and nativist. It was um, it was you know, Margie Taylor Green and Gosar were said to be involved. My group, like, of people that I knew that wrote it. Um, so they're already you know, the Matt Gates, I, you know, the guy like. Joe Kent, I mean, who lost, but is still, like, saying he's going to run again in the future. Um, So they've got their, like, claws in, and so I'm optimistic that some of the work that I did will be used (laughs) (laughs) um, to both, uh, you know, kind of counteract some of these bad actors, but also to help the general public understand, because I think people are not really grasping the depth of uh, these connections, and
0: right.
2: sitting people in Congress and white nationalism. I don't. I don't know why they're not understanding, but for some reason, it seems to be a surprise over and over.
0: It is very hard to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding it. It's a quote from you know up in Sinclair in the Jungle, and that just keeps coming up. The more we do this, <laughs> that there's a lot of people whose salary seems to depend on them not understanding the scope of what's going on. And yeah. It really seems like they have kind of moved the line quite a bit down from, I mean, the Overton window, as Nick Fuentes is always talking about, seems to be shifted quite a bit in that direction. What would you say are your biggest concerns about the right-wing movement going forward?
2: All. (laughs) (laughs) I know,
0: it's kind of a broad one.
2: I don't know. I'm very concerned about the rhetoric around trans people, gay people. And how quickly it seems to have escalated, I think, maybe faster than anything else. And certainly with like more damaging, I think, consequences, because it's such a marginalized group already with no real support infrastructure that can stand up to anything institutional. Um, And so I think that is maybe my top concern.
1: Did the hate directed at trans people feel genuine to you? Or does it feel contrived? Uh, Do they really hate them? Or is this just another cheap political tool?
2: They really hate them. I mean, that is my read on it is that it is not, I never heard it discussed as like a tactic for its own sake. But as something. I mean, and I think it's, you know, obviously I think primarily driven out of like not understanding and confusion and fear and fearing things you don't understand and trying to make the world, um, you know, very, very simple. And so I think that's a lot of it, but it's a very real hatred for many people, a very real disgust. And I don't know how you combat that because it's, I mean, I just don't know because I I think I think because it is genuine it's a little bit more infectious like it's easier maybe to to make other people feel the same way.
0: Huh. Yeah, cuz that's that's something that's just never at least to me personally made a whole lot of sense and when I saw them starting to go in really hard on trans people a couple of years ago like that became the big boogeyman that it became clear that they were really going to try and push it was Kind of like get real. How many people even know somebody who's trans outside of you know certain circles? How do you think you're going to win an election with this? And well, I don't think it won the many elections to bash on trans people. At least not in the most recent midterms. They definitely hardened up their base to that issue, and they got people just rabidly against that. I'm really a little surprised at how well it worked, and it just seems like this isn't an issue that affects a whole lot of people, especially not their people. Yet they seem to have done what they did with Antifa, where they got everybody to think this is around every corner waiting to come get you. This is something that's going to happen. These people are coming to get your kids. These people are coming to get, you know, your sons and daughters and make them your daughters and sons. And so you need to fight back to all of this. And it's really frightening how well they are able to get their messaging into these people's heads and how quickly it seems to take with this. Yeah. So... What do you see that you're optimistic about going forward?
2: Um, So, I mean, like, I think at the end of the day, it's always hard to remember there's more of us than there are of them. And as you just said, I mean, like, the midterms were devastating. And, like, that particular rhetoric didn't work. And, you know, I don't know if it'll work in the future, but there's certainly time for us to stop it. And through doing this, I've met various reformers who, like, I mean, some people, like, leave the movement, in quotes. Mm -hmm. And they are just, like you know, oh, I, I was very famous before in my circles, and I want to be very famous as, like, a person speaking against those circles, and it's like, you know, they're full of shit, whatever. But, you know, there's other people who are, like, very genuine, and they're, like, doing stuff to, to make the world a better place, to, you know, raise their children in a way that does not ever, like, intersect with the way that they were before, and, you're helping pull other people out and seeing that. I think, you know, de radicalization is not a process for me. I don't have the patience for it. I can't help someone, you know, with that. But it's, I think, been great to meet so many people who are involved in it and seeing how and not just de radicalization from like fascism or Nazism, but like pulling people out of like conspiracy theories, you know, like pulling people out of QAnon and shit like that.
0: Yeah. And to that, like you mentioned earlier on that you were raised evangelical, that your parents, your dad goes to the mega church that they're very kind of bought into this. What do you say if you're somebody who's in a similar situation to that, they want to love their parents, they love their parents, but they really are having a hard time with this considering these personal beliefs. What kind of advice would you give these people that are trying to deal with this?
2: It's so hard. I mean, it's like, for me, I, I mean, my dad thinks Antifa is starting the Capitol and I was there, you know, <laughs> and he wasn't there. So that's, you know, it's a, it's a very strange dynamic. Um, you know, I think if you got to talk to him less, talk to him less. You know, I, I, my preference is to preserve the relationship in some capacity. So if your parents won't listen, when you say, don't talk about politics, if your parents won't listen, when you say, don't talk about Trump, you know, maybe just talk to them less. <laughs> that's yeah. what you got to do to like, to stay safe. Cause it's, you know, for me, I'd rather if something happens to my dad, my dad's older, like, I would rather we talk a little less than, like, we talked all the time and fought or, like, we just didn't talk at all. (laughs) You know, like, it's kind of, like, how I feel about it. So I think that is maybe... And I think a lot of these people, and especially I think it's a little easier for me to answer the question, because I I mean, I really just don't have a good answer for that, because it's a lot of people who do this kind of work, uh, do it for personal reasons. And so uh, I think that many of us have experienced that people that you care about the most are least likely to listen to you, you know?
1: Yeah, I can. (laughs) I can very much relate. (laughs) I think we all know someone.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, like, I, my parents will never listen to me about any this shit. I don't even try anymore. So I don't know that I have, like, the most professional voice in that regard. But, you know, if your parents don't talk to you, or if it is just super bleak, I will say a lot of these QAnon types would meet me, and they would be like, you remind me of my daughter, who's about your age, who does not talk to me anymore. And so, like your parents probably miss you quite a bit and they're definitely talking to strangers about it. And it's a common thread that people can bond over. And I, you know, like for whatever amount of hope that gives people where it's like, you know, your parents like, do not hate you. (laughs) They have not, you know, like moved on. Most people are very, like very deeply sad for it.
1: And I think the, the reality probably is that if you stop talking to them, they're, they're very likely to get worse. And, like, we gave you a very difficult question, and there's no easy answer, and no one alive has an easy answer, but you can at least say this thing or that thing is going to make it worse, and if you if you abandon them, sometimes sometimes you have to. Sometimes you just can't for your own mental health, and you have your own kids. You have to make tough choices sometimes, but if you don't have to do that, and you don't want to see them get worse, then... At least send them a card on their birthday. Tell them you love them sometimes, maybe they can get pulled out of it, maybe they can't, but but breaking all contact, it's probably going to end poorly, and it's awful, and it's an awful choice, but that's where we're at.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree.
0: So can you tell us anything about what you're working on now and what you'd like to work on in the future?
2: Well, I've got an article. If anybody wants to publish it who is listening, please immediately contact me
0: <laughs> about
2: my time undercover, um, kind of detailing this group I was with and then, you know, doing a memoir or whatever. But um, kind of just staying here. Once this main article is out, it gets a lot easier because a lot of stuff branches off from there. But like I said, you know, a lot of people that I know are nobodies to the general public, even though they are doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes. So I'd really like to work more on exposing some of that. That's my goal.
1: Do you still, I know when you first published this, you got a lot of backlash. Do you still feel like you have to prove yourself to people? Is that kind of still a, a an issue? Or do you think right now it's just somebody just take this article and go with it? or Or, or is there really like actual, you know, pushback on you?
2: Like from the media or from like random people?
0: Well, to some extent, I know that you caught at least a little bit of skepticism and criticism from people who were, you know, ostensibly on the left about how could you do this? How could somebody, you know, actually do this kind of work if they weren't somehow at least a little sympathetic towards it, which I think honestly is horseshit. People go undercover all the time to do any number of things, but people did push back on that. And Have you still seen that kind of thing happening or does it happen less now? Do you think people have sort of figured it out?
2: It happens less now, but only because I like I've gone viral, but not for specific things related to going undercover It'll happen again. it'll happen when this article comes out, you know, and then it'll happen when the memoir comes out. it'll just be a cycle of forever. The best part about that was like some of the people, especially on Twitter, like some of the bigger accounts were people who literally knew me in real life <laughs> but forgot they knew me. or they were people, yeah, yeah, or they were people who like I was in contact with when I was undercover and like huh. they knew that so would be like hey i'm coming to your city i see you're running this antifa account for this city and i'm coming here for a race riot let's be in contact you know <laughs> and then all of a sudden they're like this person is literally a nazi and i'm like i wasn't a nazi when i messaged you and you messaged me back <laughs> like, <laughs> i don't know what we're doing here <laughs> oh. so you know people just want to like bitch and moan about anything so yeah i'm not and i mean oh, God, i was talking to so many journalists like there are so many journalists right now. If it wasn't for the fact that most of my story is like audio, any like number journalists could just scoot me on everything, but they can't prove it because it's all <laughs> it's all like audio. <laughs> I've talked to so many people. Um, yeah, that was that was wild. People were like calling people, people on the left were calling people that I know in real life to bitch about me. Which is like <laughs> wow. actually they were calling journalists who know me. And, like, giving them the third degree about me, and people are, because I live in D.C., like, of course I know journalists, I'm from here, you know? Like, I know people in media, because in politics, it's who lives here. (laughs) Why I didn't do stuff here? Because I would have met people at these events who I would have known. They would have been like, I remember when you were a libertarian, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know? Like, (laughs) So, yeah, it was just, it was such a bizarre experience. Very, very bizarre.
0: That is crazy. Yeah, not entirely surprising, but definitely like a why? What are you getting out of this? What? What's? Yeah, right.
1: Maybe just like you said, that people just love to bitch. And honestly, we all have the memories of goldfish at this point. So you're you're who? You did what? Oh well, you've yeah, you're you're just a fascist now. Well, I as someone who uh, listens and reads and watches plenty of fascist content it does not automatically turn you fascist no. it's uh no it's crazy but <laughs> <laughs> it's weird Which,
2: like i don't know like if it did i think we'd be in a really bad position <laughs> uh-huh.
0: yeah I'm, yeah i think mm. they're kind of telling on themselves when they say you can't possibly listen to this stuff and not turn into a fascist that seems kind of a little bit like Mm, really? Maybe you can't. Right.
2: Yeah. yeah. Good <laughs> <But>. point.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, thank you, Amanda. We really appreciate your time today. This was this was great. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Thank appreciate you. It. Nice to
2: meet you. Great talking to you. Take care. Nice to see you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast. If you want to hear more, you can go to didnothingwrongpod.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at James, the word for and the letter M, all one word, and Grizza BJJ, G-R-Z-A-B-J-J, as well as DNW Pod. Thanks again for tuning in, and remember, everyone mentioned, did nothing wrong.